In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. As you know, today is the Feast of Blessed Alvaro. And we begin this day giving thanks to God for this feast that is so close to home, celebrating the first successor of St. Josemaria. Some of us knew him, some of us spoke to him, and it is a great joy to think that now he is interceding for us in heaven. Salvador Bernal was one of the first, uh, I think the first person to write a biography of uh, St. Josemaria. It was published in Spanish, I think, in 1976 or 75, and later in 77 it was published in English. It was called Monsignor Josemaria Escriva de Balaguer, a profile of the founder of Opus Dei. And I remember when I used to go to the centers in the first uh, years of my vocation in the early 80s, that was the only book we had. It was called The Profile. And uh, the book opens in June of 1975 as our father's remains his mortal remains lay in what was then called the Oratory of Our Lady of Peace in Bilatebere. You probably remember seeing the image or the photo of our father lying there on the floor, on the marble floor, and Don Alvaro kneeling there in front of him. Well, the exact same thing happened with Don Alvaro at his death on March 23rd, 1994. And uh, Salvador Bernal immediately, when he found out about this, when he was, he was in Madrid, he immediately began to write his first draft of an article that was going to be published in the local Madrid newspaper, and immediately he started preparing a book about him. Probably he had already started, but that was his focus right from the day that he heard news of the death of, of Don Alvaro. He said, despite the pressure, my heart was filled with the same feelings I had had on June 26, 1975, when Jose Maria Escriba died. I was even writing, he said, similar words as I found when I reread a column I had written back then, almost 20 years before, entitled, Changing Tears into Prayers. 
He said, we, we cry when someone dies, we feel sorrow, our heart is grieved, and everything is filled with bitterness. Those are words of St. Augustine that he found were appropriate at that time. And I remember on that day of March 23rd, 1994, everything was filled with bitterness. Everything was sorrow on the day that we heard that Don Alvo had passed away. I was there in Rome, and we were expecting that day to have a get-together with him because he had just come back the night before from the Holy Land, and we were, we were just eager to hear his account of him being there in the Holy Land, being in all those holy places, since he had such an ability to describe in detail what had happened and what he had been through. He would talk about meetings with the Pope. He would talk about uh, different trips. Uh, and now he said, well, now he's going to tell us all about the Holy Land. But the Lord took him away before. And St. Augustine describes that. We cry when someone dies. We feel sorrow. Our heart is grieved. And everything <clears throat> seems to be filled with bitterness. How well he knew the the contradictions of the human heart and the powerlessness of created things to satisfy its hunger for happiness. Really, as he said, there were no better words to describe the pain that he felt on that March 23rd morning after the news of Don Alvaro's passing. And he said it grew even sharper as the realization began to sink in that he would never see Don Alvaro's face, his lovable face again. Though he had been worn out by a thousand battles, he knew, Don Alvaro knew how to constantly lavish affection on the people that were around him and he, it's as though though he was 80 years old he never really lost his his uh, the youthfulness I would say of his love the youthfulness of his love well now we are May 12th and we know that well he has been approved by the church as taking up uh, the ranks of the blessed the church in its wisdom, through the authority of Pope Francis, has said he is among the blessed. And there's no longer any reason to grieve or to be filled with, with bitterness. We no longer now have those tears that we had back on March 23rd, 1994. I not only had tears, but I had major stress because I had heard about a month before from the rector, he called me, and uh, the rector of Cavabianca, and he said, can I see you in my office, please? You want to see me in my office? Okay. Mm -hmm. Called me on this internal phone thing. Okay. That's very, it's like it never happens. The rector just doesn't call you. You know, He passes you on the way, in the hallway, and he says something to you. Okay, but can I see you in my office? Okay. This would have been February 1994, and uh, I went, and uh, 
he sat down and he says, uh, the father, which of course was Don Alvaro, the father has asked if you would like to become a priest, if you would like to be ordained. Oh, that's what it's all about. Okay. <laughs> I had no idea. You know. I mean, I kind of knew maybe it would happen, but I didn't know it was going to be like in February. You know, like he was going to ask me this. So he said, so you don't have to say anything. It's okay. Just write him a letter. And just write him a letter. So I went back into my room and began writing this letter addressed to Don Alvaro. And I guess it had already been sent off by that time, but I didn't know now, well, who's going to ordain me, right? Who's going to ordain me? But I knew they would find some, some bishop around there. They'll, they'll figure something out, you know. But it was a, a sadness to know that I would not be ordained by Don Alvaro. But now, well, we are May 12th, and we no longer have those tears or that stress, but the joy of knowing that the church has beatified someone who lived the spirit of the work so faithfully that he can indeed be a saint. So now we'll live the spirit of the work. So, so the spirit of the work, the spirit of Opus Dei that our founder brought and was an instrument for, when it is lived to the full, of course it was lived by him, but it can be lived even by somebody who is not him, somebody who is not the founder. And Don Avro lived it to the full. And yet he always tried to hide himself. He was, as the prayer for Don Avro describes him, as the most faithful son and successor of St. Maria. Faithful son and successor. And when Don Avro wrote about our father, he wanted to show that he had lived the, the theological and moral virtues, he would say, in crescendo, right? Like in, in growing throughout his life, in different stages in his life, they were growing. The moral, theological virtues were growing. And to achieve this, he believed that it would be very important to narrate the events of his life. So there are all kinds of anecdotes of the life of our father. But he felt that it was also important to avoid the danger, especially for those who would come after, that, that had not known our father directly. He believed it would not be enough just to give a series of anecdotes of his life or stories, but to give an overall vision of his personality, of his deep sanctity. Because, of course, most people now had never met our founder. And soon it'll be the same with Don Alvaro. Most people will not have met Don Alvaro. And so the same with Don Alvaro, because we could say, well, we could say many anecdotes of his life, but really his life was imbued with that, what we might call that charism of normality, which always is what characterizes humble people. Humble people have this charism of normality. And they, they can reach the summit of perfection without doing anything extraordinary or anything very, very, very difficult. 
1985, Salvador Bernal was in a workshop in Sola Vieja, a workshop it's a, in a conference center in Asturias, and he was there with Don Alvaro. And on that day, when he was there, he wrote in his diary, another day, all very ordinary, with that feeling of serenity, filled with prayer and with work. It's what you always get when you're near Don Alvaro. Another day. Nothing special. Sometimes if you look at a diary of a center, you'll see like little blocks, little paragraphs. Oh, today so-and-so came over. We had the same refuel meditation and we had this happened and we prepared this and da-da-da. Okay. And then another day, so-and-so went on a trip to whatever, blah, 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 blah. Okay. And then another blank, you know, paragraph this, this big, another one, another one. And then very often you got one line, nothing special today. Mm-hmm. Nothing special. But that's just as holy a day as the other days that are filled with, I don't know, people going on trips, uh, people making campfires, uh, I don't know, <laughs> you know, crazy stuff. Today the power went out, and we, I don't know, nothing special today. I don't know if today will be a nothing special day, but it's still a very, a day of, filled with the charism of normality, and therefore also the sanctity that the Lord wants for us, and He wants us as humble people. And He put beats and accents of eternity on ordinary existence. When on the very smallest things he could see the light of God there. And it is said that Don Alvaro saw everything with deep humility and it overflowed into this meekness, this self-forgetfulness. And this, of course, had an effect on, on others there were no big, huge events in his life. But, of course, you can imagine if you go through his life, he would have been very excited to meet Pope Pius XII when he was dressed in his engineer's uniform, which he probably never put on, and it was probably wrinkle-free because he never put it on, right? But uh, only for very special occasions, and that's what he put on when he met Pope Pius XII. And apparently the Swiss guard saw him and saluted him because they probably thought he was some kind of general or something like that. Or then later when he was a priest, he met Pope John the Twenty-Third, so that would have been exciting. That would have been in the diary, of course. And then he met as, not as prelate, but as the head of Opus Dei, he met Pope Paul the Sixth. And then after um, our father passed away, he well, he met Pope Paul the Sixth, and then later he met John Paul II, he saw the prelature, he saw the beatification. Those were all special moments, but most of the time it wasn't those things. It was normal, normal everyday things, and he was always very serene. He had this peaceful tran- tranquility. That's what people remember. And that peaceful tranquility was a sign of his union with God. He didn't, he didn't get grumpy as he got older, or whiny, or complaining. Now, you might say, well, that was just his temperament, he was a chill guy, he was always like that. Uh, it was his temperamental disposition, right? you might think. Was he like that in his 30s? Was he like that like in the 19, you know, 1930s and 40s? 
Well, we know that he worked very hard, and he had a, a strong character working as an engineer. And it is said that the fact that he was like that serene and calm into his old age leads one to suspect precisely that it was not so much a question of temperament as it was the result of spiritual struggle or ascetical struggle. It was the victory of will and intellect, the will, the, the victory of, of his docility to divine grace, the ascetical struggle over his natural tendencies, the natural tendencies, for that matter, of a very energetic uh, personality. People really, when he was very young, they found him very good and very impressive. And yet he was the most faithful man of peace, even in the midst of very serious difficulties, even in the midst of health issues that he had. He was friendly, he was firm, he was loyal, he was patient, he was demanding, he was demanding and strong. He was daring, full of courage. He was quite hard on himself, but he was very understanding with others. And in 1993, so July 6, 1993, I was in Rome at that time, and it was the eve, July 6th was the eve of his 58th anniversary of asking for the admission to be in Opus Dei. 19, it was 19, you know, 58 bef years before. And I'm trying to uh, picture the scene now, but I know I was there in that get-together. But someone mentioned this to him, that... It, Don Alvaro, it's, uh, well, they would call him father at the time, of course, but he said, it's been 58 years you know, since you joined the work. And he responded very quickly. Like, it's clear, it was obvious that he had already been thinking about this. And he said, well, how many years it has been? What an account I must render to the Lord God. How much you have to help me. He could clearly see that those were grace-filled years. And he was humble about it. And he, of course, remembers very well as the day when he asked admission. He was at a recollection with our father. In those days, there were two meditations in the morning and three in the afternoon. Right? So, like, those were serious <laughs> recollections, right? <laughs> and um, he says that uh, in the, after the second meditation he went to our father and he decided that's it I'm going to join Opus Dei and he said uh, our father gave a meditation about the love of God and the love of Our Lady which left me feeling aglow or radiant or luminous it's very clear that something lit up in him something that woke up in him like there was deep within him a deep desire for that kind of love of God no matter what it took that's what he wanted that's what he wanted no matter how hard it might be he said I want 
that. It was the love of God and the love of Our Lady. That's the mysterious thing that, that lit up within him. And it never went out. It was as though he now had a new restlessness which the Holy Spirit had put in his soul and it went wild. It changed everything in his life. He said that it, it is what caused him to begin his true existence. And on one occasion he said that nothing in July of 1935 nor in the months before had given him any inkling that God was about to call him to Opus Dei. Our father had inklings, he knew something was up, he didn't know exactly what, but nothing in Don Alvaro told him that, and for his case. We know he had grown up in a very Christian environment, he had received his Holy Communion, and uh, he used to go to communion very, to Mass every day, he said the Rosary every day, but he wasn't like into all these pious associations, uh, you know, in these church groups. Uh, and um, he said that it was a story of the confident and persevering prayer of our founder, who during the same four years, without even knowing me, he did this just because one of his aunts had spoken to him about me, he said. So who is this aunt? Who is this aunt that spoke to our founder about Don Alvaro? I mean, she must be, she must be in heaven now just for doing that. Who was she? Well, that aunt, her name was Carmen del Portillo. She was also his godmother, so she did her job well. And she lived with uh, her sister, Pilar, in the same building. In a, in a street called Conde de Aranda in Madrid, and in this this is the this is where the where Don Alvaro's family lived. Now both of these sisters, Pilar and Carmen, were were single. They were very Catholic, and even they had they had in their home a private chapel. It had nice wood carvings. St. Joseph and the Immaculate Conception. And they did a lot of charitable work in the Foundation of the Sick that had been started by this woman. Her name was Luth Rodriguez Casanova. And she, in turn, was beatified in 1985. There were some good priests around. And there, in the Foundation of the Sick, they met, well, Carmen at least met uh, our father. And that's where she spoke to him about Don Alvaro. That was the initial contact. But that was just a contact. That's just like where our father found out about Don Alvaro. But he didn't meet Don Alvaro through, through them directly. It was rather a classmate of his in engineering, whose name was Manuel Perez Sanchez. And he used to go to the St. Vincent de Paul activities, like to help the poor and stuff. And they would go to the slums district where, where people lived in these shacks that were made of sheet net metal and cardboard. That, that, those were their homes. They were literally slums. And this guy, uh, Manuel Perez Sanchez, would take Don Alvaro there and they, they would offer help, and bring food, they would bring food stamps and 
medicines. And Don Alvaro would go along with him. And Don Alvaro became very dedicated. And this guy, Manuel Sanchez, he, he was quite impressed what um, care that, if you like, um, Don Alvaro had a lot of care for these people. And he had particular um, affection for the, for the young children. He was very, you know, care, caring for the young kids there. It was not an easy time. This was a time of great upheaval in society. Then there was uh, one time they went to, to give catechism, and and these thugs came after them, and and they knocked Don Alvaro over the head with a wrench, and he came home bleeding. His whole overcoat was full of blood, big deep gash in his head. But he didn't didn't say anything. He didn't want to draw too much attention, and. Um, Eventually they went to some clinic and there was a guy there with a white coat on and said, what's the problem? Well, I just got this gash on my head. And uh, says, well, and he pulled out a tube that was in his pocket that was open. And he said, here, squeeze some, some ointment on his gash. And of course, it just got worse. It got infected. And uh, you know. so those were the days of medicine 101, right? But... Um, <laughs> And, uh, but what was key about him is that even with those difficulties in that apostolate, he never lacked optimism. And um, then came the Civil War and everything, and, but he still maintained that optimism. And, and after the Civil War, they had to recover everything, they had to start over uh, they had lost a lot of addresses. Everything had to be kind of rebuilt. Uh, the center where they were had been destroyed, literally destroyed by a bomb. And, and now they had to restart. And for our father, this, this starting again was you know, a real occasion to recuperate, you know, find what was lost, and, and to give new energy to the apostolate. And Don Alvo followed in with that. And, and his life went on. So let us ask also for the same sense of optimism and uh, youthful spirit which accompanied Don Alvaro throughout his whole life because he knew he was doing the work of God. He can intercede for us now. When we're tempted to be a little bit mm, discouraged with the apostolate, when we're discouraged about... Uh, ourselves and our own struggle. When we're discouraged, just maybe we can do that. Go to Don Alvaro. Or you know, when we think about the gash on his head, if somebody gets ill or sick or is diagnosed with cancer, we can go to Don Alvaro. I mean, he needs an extra miracle, right? So for him to be canonized, so we might as well go to him. And when we see his face, his smiling face, he will intercede for us so that we both become healthy and if that is what God wants, of course, and he will intercede for us so that whatever gets us down, we can overcome. Whether it's COVID, whether, whatever it is, we will overcome with God's grace and the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So we ask Blessed Alvaro to pray for us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you to put them into effect 
my Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, and my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.